Last night, there was a debate which made some proud of their candidates or for people sitting back and taking a look. Uh, today, if you were Googling, you found lots of lists of fact-checking events and you know ideas uh, that were put out there by the candidates. And in addition to that, a lot of people had lists of, let's break down last night's debate. Here is all you need to know. Well, I don't want to tell you what you need to know. Some of you watched it, some of you didn't, some of you saw or heard pieces of it. We're going to share from our view some of the highlights from last night and and the reason why we've highlighted this event. Uh, For the most part, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, a lot of people said one. Rand Paul had a stronger showing than in the past, and some would say Jeb Bush was able to stop the bleeding. Carly Friarina was listed as a winner, I think, because she held her own. I didn't think she brought very much to the table. But Donald Trump, Ben Carson, John Kasich um, basically were touted as losers. Kasich for being more aggressive than he's been in the past. I personally thought that John Kasich would be better as a Democrat uh, than as a Republican. And uh, Ben Carson, he really lost points, I think, with a lot of people. We'll see. When it came to focusing on policy, especially foreign affairs, that did not help him. Um, But he didn't do anything that would force his supporters to abandon him, but he didn't help himself either. And uh, again, Donald Trump was not able to stand out with heavy policy discussion. As a matter of fact, it made him look a bit more uh, forgetful. And um, I think policy is political kryptonite for him, and that's a very bad situation for a potential future president to be in. Uh, So we want to hear from you as well. We've got a lot of cuts uh, to share with you. I want to share some of these and give you my take on last night, but I want to hear from you and I want to hear your take. First up, let's hear some of the events last night. Carly Fiorina last night talked about meeting with Putin, mocked Donald Trump on something he said regarding her meeting, and quite frankly, completely, completely contradicted herself. But why should I tell you what she said? Let her tell you. Here's Carly Fiorina discussing meeting Vladimir Putin on Jimmy Fallon's show. Take a listen. Well, he was kind of like bursting out of the buttons of his shirt. You know, he's kind of a barrel-chested guy and proud of it, clearly. Oh, yeah, if he's Uh wearing a shirt, that's Uh a good day. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's usually on a horseback. Yeah, I mean, look. Where did you meet? uh... I I met him in Beijing. We were in sort of a green room setting, actually. The two of us were giving a speech. Each of us were giving a speech at a major economic conference called APAC. And so the two of us were sitting sort of in a chair like this, about this close, for 45 minutes before his speech and before mine. I would describe him as a formidable adversary. He's very confident. He's very, he actually can be quite funny and charming. Um, But he's a KGB guy, you know, we should never forget this. And he lusts for power and he's gathered up a lot of it and he's a very bad actor and it's a very bad thing that his fighter jets and his soldiers are sitting in Syria right now. That's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. No, no, No. I'm I'm afraid to to meet him. scares me. Yeah. By the way, I wouldn't talk to him at all. I think Donald Trump is wrong. I think we've talked way too much to Vladimir Putin. What I would do is immediately begin rebuilding the Sixth Fleet. I'd rebuild the missile defense program in Poland. I'd conduct regular military exercises in the Baltics. I'd put a few thousand more troops into Germany. I certainly would have been leading in Syria three years ago because Obama and Clinton haven't. We have far fewer options here. Putin needs to see 
that he faces strength and resolve and leadership from the United States of America. He would see that from me. He's not saying that, unfortunately, from this administration. Okay. So you heard her say that she met with Putin in uh, the green room. Now, Donald Trump has mocked this, so the mocking continues. And now here's Carly Fiorina mocking Donald Trump for mocking, for mocking her and also mocking him for his allegations of his meeting with Vladimir Putin. Here's Carly Fiorina mocking good the Donald. negotiator. And I accept that he's done a lot of good deals. So Mr. Trump ought to know that we should not speak to people from a position of weakness. Senator Paul should know that as well. One of the reasons I've said that I would not be talking to Vladimir Putin right now, although I have met him as well, not in a green room for a show, but in a private meeting. One of the reasons I've said I wouldn't be talking to Vladimir Putin right now is because we are speaking to him from a position of weakness brought on by this administration. So I wouldn't talk to him for a while, but I would do this. I would start rebuilding the Sixth Fleet right under his nose, rebuilding the military, the uh, missile defense program in Poland right under his nose. I would conduct very aggressive military exercises in the Baltic states so that he understood we would protect our NATO allies and would be allies. And I might also put in a few more thousand troops into Germany, not to start a war, but to make sure that Putin understands that the United States of America will stand with our allies. That is why Governor Bush is correct. We must have a no-fly zone in Syria because Russia cannot tell the United States of America where and when to fly our planes. We also have a set of allies. We have a set of allies in the Arab Middle East who know that ISIS is their fight. They have asked us specifically over and over again to support them. King Abdullah of Jordan, a man I've known for a very long time, has asked us for bombs and material. We have not provided it. The Egyptians are asking us to share intelligence. We are not. I will. The Kurds have asked us to arm them for three years. We're not. I would. The Egyptians, the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Bahrainis, the Emiratis, the Kurds, all all of these people I know, by the way, understand ISIS is their fight, but they must see leadership, support, and resolve from the United States of America. Let me, and let me we must have the strongest military on the face of the planet, and everyone has to know it. Senator Paul. Where does the truth begin and the truth end? Fiorina met Putin for 45 minutes in a green room type setting. Now, what's a green room, for those of you that don't know? It's where you wait to go on set to speak like I do on TV. It's also where I get my hair and makeup done before I'm on TV. I have met for 45 minutes many people in a green room. It is not a private meeting. She's lying when she says it was. As a matter of fact, it was during the 2001 APEC CEO Summit in Beijing. They both were waiting to give their speeches. She was CEO of Hewlett Packard at the time. She was simply sitting there with Putin because she was slated to go on before him and she was there first because she was before him also because she probably had her hair and makeup done. It takes longer for we ladies because we have more stuff done to our face and hair because you're more critical of how we look, y'all. Anyway, um, and um, she also talked about how Putin had led a change more dramatic than anything her own company had accomplished. And it's an odd credential for her to speak positively about him or to mention her meeting with him. And speaking of lying, Donald Trump was in a box next to him. You know when you see my talking head on TV and there's a box of somebody else and they could be 
in another country. They're certainly in another room. And I've, I've, I've often never met those people. So Donald Trump's lying that he was in a stable. No, they were both on 60 Minutes, a different segment. Donald Trump was in the United States in New York. Vladimir Putin was in Moscow in Russia. They weren't even in the same country. They weren't even the same continent in the same hemisphere. That's a lie. And Carly Fiorina, you heard it from her own words. She was in a green room type setting. There was no face-to-face scheduled meeting. She just happened to be speaking at the summit in Beijing before Putin. And if she had not been, if they had not been scheduled back to back, there would have been no meeting. He didn't ask for, request, agree to any meeting with her. But it does make us ask, why the hell is anybody touting about their meeting with Putin? Isn't he right now, in a sense, an enemy to the United States or should be viewed as such? Now, here is Neil Cavuto, who I've been on the show of. He's on Fox News Channel and Fox Business. But when he asked this question, I couldn't believe we were asking this in a country where we're supposed to be practicing separation of church and state. This has to do with God. One of the biggest economic concerns, of course, in the country are taxes. Facebook data certainly backs that up. Once again, the green on this map that we're going to see here shows how the conversation around taxes is resonating across the nation, especially here in Wisconsin. First off, Dr. Carson, to you, you say you are in favor of a tax system, I guess akin to tithing, sir, with a flat tax rate of up to 15%, because you said, if everybody pays this, I think God is a pretty fair guy, so tithing is a pretty fair process. But Donald Trump says that is not fair, that wealthier taxpayers should pay a higher rate because it's a fair thing to do. So whose plan would God endorse then, doctor? (laughs) Yours or Mr. Trump's? Well, you know, when I say tithing, I'm talking about the concept of the proportionality. Right. Everybody should pay the same proportion of what they make. You make $10 billion, you pay a billion. You make $10, you pay one. You get the same rights and privileges. I don't see how anything gets a whole lot fairer than that. But you also have to get rid of all the deductions and all the loopholes because that's the thing that tilts it in one direction or another. And you have to set the rate uh, at an appropriate level. Now, I will say that there are a lot of people who say if you get rid of the deductions, you ruin the American dream because, you know, home mortgage deduction. Uh, But the fact of the matter is people had homes before 1913 when we introduced the federal income tax and later after that started deductions. And they say there'll be no more charitable giving. We had churches before that and charitable organizations before that. The fact of the matter is, I believe if you put more money in people's pockets, that they will actually be more generous rather than less generous. And it's, it's the money that they earn. And the other thing is, I do care about the poor people. And in the system that we're putting together, uh, there will be a rebate for people at the poverty level. But I also want to emphasize the fact that as we get the economy moving, and I hope I get a question about how do we get the economy moving, uh, there will be a, a lot more opportunities for poor people not to be poor people. Because this is America. This is the land of dreams. And our policy should be aimed at allowing people to realize that dream. I, Thank I, you I, very much. I I don't even know where to start on that. I know we're going to take a break. Let me just say a few things. One, who the hell is Ben Carson to speak for God? Two, 
Uh, let me just tell you what the Bible says, by the way. Matthew twenty two seventeen through 21, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, knowing, quote, their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius. And then he said, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The Apostle Paul also taught, Romans 13, 6, 7, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Tithing is in addition to that, by the way. You do your homework. Perhaps Mr. Carson, Dr. Carson should read the Bible cover to cover, not just pick and choose pieces. And by the way, if you care so much about poor people, Dr. Carson, then why does your party want to take away the WIC program from women with babies, not want to provide health care, want to take away a, an organization called Planned Parenthood and defund that when 97% plus of the services provide health care? For women, poor women in this country, want to defund and take away food stamps, welfare, and of course not provide free education. That doesn't sound to me like anybody who cares. So the poor will be back with you right after this. Join me, 888-6-LESLIE. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Day. Happy Hump Day. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Well, uh, let's talk to you. First of all, did you watch the fourth GOP debate last night? Are these, this many debates necessary in your opinion? Did you watch it? Yes or no? Uh, what, what was your takeaway? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Are these this many debates necessary? 888-6-LESLIE. And, and why are people uh, you know, boasting about their meetings with Putin as if it's a good thing? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. And uh, let's uh, get to the calls. And we started out with, let's see who's up first here. We started out with Bob in California, line one. Bob, good afternoon. Hey, uh, I did watch the debate, and uh, uh, I do find them endless in their number, but that relates to the bigger subject of the endless nature of our elections, which is a subject for another day, I suppose. <laughs> well, uh, no, not necessarily if it, if it plays into, you know, the debate last night. I mean, you know, I well, what, what I wanted to comment about, Leslie, was the uh, uh, reference once again to uh, Hillary Clinton's untrustworthiness as it uh, obviously relates to Benghazi. Uh, I find that argument uh, unpersuasive. Uh, the reason is that I, I uh, uh, suggest that there is uh, uh, that the, the idea of the video or the terrorists uh, relating to Benghazi are not mutually exclusive. It's not an either-or. 
it's a both and. Uh, we know that the video had gone viral in the Middle East at the time, so it formed part of the context. Well, but, so, and so that people understand to that point, in Cairo, there was an attempted attack, somebody scaling the wall of the U.S. Embassy there. It was in response to the video. So the first reaction to what happened in Benghazi, you know, I think it is fair to say we think it's this. Did they speak too soon? Yes. And and at the end of the day, whether we whether it's a bad guy that whether it's a terrorist that did it or a bad guy that did it because of a video, because they're PO'd that we got rid of their leader or helped to get rid of their leader, Gaddafi. At the end of the day, it's a bunch of people who are murderers who hate us. That's right. And their acts by their nature were terrorists uh, uh, acts by nature. Uh, the video could very well have been a catalyst, a catalyst uh, as at least to the timing of the attacks. So I don't understand. I don't get the uh, criticism. Uh, uh, they're not mutually exclusive factors. I, I agree with you. Um, and, of course, we know that there have been Republican-led investigation committees and hearings, congressional bipartisan committees. There have been, what, 30 committees, over 10 hearings, Two, the former Secretary of State sat there under oath, and there's been no smoking gun, no evidence of a cover-up or a lie, or that she directly or indirectly caused this ambassador and the other's deaths. We'll be back after this. Let's go next to Jack in Toledo, Ohio, on line one. Jack, uh, good afternoon listening on Progressive Voices. How hey, are Leslie, you? how are you doing? Good. Hey, um, I thought that a couple of those clips that you played were actually some of the best parts of the debate. And one of the things that was really frustrating with the debate was the factual inaccuracy of the jobs numbers created under President Obama. The truth of the matter is that right now, at 81 months into his presidency, that he has the fewest jobs created of any of the previous three presidents who served two terms. Well, wait a minute. I wouldn't agree with you there. I got to have at, at eighty-one months. At eighty-one months, not at full term. Bush had created about one hundred thirty-five thousand jobs a month. Reagan was about one ninety-seven, and Clinton was about two fourteen. Okay. And you're also comparing apples to oranges because President Obama at 62 and change for participation rate is about three percentage points lower than President Bush was for the first seven years of his presidency. But you're also, again, if you want to talk apples and oranges, President Obama also had a recession. And President Bush had two recessions. The not if you ask President Bush. Not if you ask President Bush. President Bush's own words were that we are not entering into, and also we are not in a recession. Well, in 2001, it was determined that it was a recession. I agree. And in 2008, it was a recession. But the thing is that what you have to understand and what nobody truly grasps is that this was more than just a simple gross domestic product recession. 
this was a housing recession. We are still at like 35-year lows for starts and new home sales. We're still at about 10-year-old levels of existing home sales. So we have not recovered anywhere near shape or form. Yeah, but I, I want to I dispute your numbers, okay? Um, according, you and you can Google this yourself, you want, according to economist after economist after economist, President Obama created six times as many jobs as Bush. He created more jobs in both the private sector and in the public sector. Not, not from the beginning of his term. Not from the beginning of his term, because he had to lose five million jobs before he could create eight. So he uh, he went into a big hole. We bottomed in 2010. We just, just passed the same number of full-time workers that we had in July of 2007 during August of 2015. That's eight years to recover. But what did you hear last night as far as specifics with economic policy to gain or recover any jobs back from the leading guy on that platform that himself ships jobs overseas to China and Mexico with his own companies there to a retired neurosurgeon who's never really created a job or run a company or anything economically in his life? I mean, the, the, the list goes on. At least you have some governors there. John Kasich has done a decent job with Ohio, yet he's not leading the fray. Uh, with yeah, Repu- like with, said, Re- with Republicans, what, where, where last night did you hear anybody specify how they would create jobs? Well, in your own words, the president does not create jobs. He just takes credit for creating them. Well, I you never said he have... takes credit. Ah, no, you're, you're, I, I said the, it's not the president's job to create job. True. But yeah, I never but said he, he takes, takes credit. credit. I never said that. Okay. Well, in any event, the president does not create jobs. The thing is that when you look well, wait, 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 wait. If the president doesn't create jobs, then how can you hold the president responsible for – then you just said the president didn't create jobs, and, and now well, you're saying well, it's well, not well, his responsibility. You can't have it both ways. It can't be, well, oh, if the job – if, if, the, if, the, if the numbers suit you, then he's created. Then if they don't, then, then he did not. No, here's, here's the real situation. You've got uh, a, an economy that is based on seasonally adjusted numbers. And the seasonally adjusted numbers change from week to week, month to month, year to year, for the same period of time. This administration takes great pleasure in creating false assertions considered to be true that this is the best unemployment number that we've seen since 1973 when they're comparing the unemployment numbers of January with the unemployment numbers of October. I hear you, but Obama's not running. And the people on stage are. So, again, regarding last night's debate, which is what we're talking about, and another right. thing you didn't mention is what is what do people inherit? I mean, uh, I mean, when Bill Clinton left office, there was a, a, a surplus in the trillions. OK, what was done by well, that? Was what, was done the, the, what was done with what was done with that no, uh, by the know. next president? And yeah. then when pre, when President Obama became president uh, in 2008, uh, from 2008 to 2010, there were no, there was no result of the former economic policy of the former president in, in place that he inherited when he walked into that White House? Well, the thing is that when you talk about what Senator Obama was pushing for so that he would have it in his bailiwick to play with when he became president, he was all in favor of TARP. He was all in favor of cash for clunkers. He was all in favor for quantitative easing. And he was saying that it was unpatriotic and irresponsible for President Bush to add $4 trillion to the debt when 
one half of a trillion dollars of the the TARP money that was loaned out under Bush was repaid under Obama. So that means that the debt under Obama has gone from $10 trillion to $18.5 trillion, but it really started at $9.5 trillion because— So how come economists don't agree with you? Because what the economists like to do is they like to look at the reports and see what the reports are saying. They don't dig into the numbers. And if you listen to Scott Shelley, he will tell you firsthand that the numbers that they are reporting on just don't make sense. I mean, but what do doesn't make sense to me is we're talking about a Republican debate. You're talking about a guy who's a, a Democrat, is already a two-term president, and isn't running. Okay, well, the thing is that what I heard from virtually all of the people there was that we have to address the fact that the federal government takes in way too much money from this economy, and it spends even more. And the one person who I thought made sense, I'm not exactly a big fan of his, but was Rand Paul with his penny plan. You can reduce the deficit. Well, first of all, all you have to do is say that our spending is capped at what we took in last year for revenue, because revenue, other than during the recession, always increases. Revenue actually decreased considerably during 2009, 2010, and guess what? So did spending. The actual real spending dropped. Now, if you talk about the the big bull in the room story, you have to take a look at one thing. Clinton only had positive revenue on budget of about 85 billion dollars over three years. He had like 79 one year, six another, and two the the following year. So he only ran surpluses that would have been a basically a carrying error in President Obama's budgets. The rest of the time and the rest of the numbers that everyone's saying that he balanced the budget, it had to do with stealing from the trust funds. The entitlement programs would be just fine right now if Republicans and Democrats alike would have just said, hey, we can't balance on-budget numbers with off-budget numbers. But that's what happens every year. The deficit this year is really much higher than the $450 billion that was reported because they had to steal from Social Security and the, the Highway Trust Fund. It's called shadow debt in the budget. Jack, Leslie uh, is just having an issue with her microphone. This is the producer, Mark. But one thing that I wanted to push back on you with is even PolitiFact examined some of the facts that you were citing. And when the president claimed um, this past January that he's decreased the budget by two-thirds since taking office, and even PolitiFact found that to be true. And that's a nonpartisan you know, fact-finding source. They won the no, Pulitzer the, the Prize for it. The the, the the budget revenue is at the highest level it's ever been. The budget that's that's been disputed by ma- many more been. economists than you are citing. I mean, I no, here's I'm, Leslie. I'm, I'm here. I don't know what happened. I didn't hang up on you, and he certainly that's didn't okay. hang up on me. I, I'm going off the the Treasury report, sir. I'm not going by what economists say. I'm actually reading the reports. Again, but again, again, I don't want to go there. I, I'm, I'm not looking. looking. Obama's not running. If you want to look at what you think we have today and you want to put blame on Obama, that's going backwards as the president is putting the car in reverse. 
So you're saying Rand Paul yeah, so got I, your I'm attention saying, last night, correct? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that my biggest bone of contention was the misnomer that President Obama uh, and the Democrats have generated more jobs than Republicans. Now, the thing is, is that you have to compare it at the 81-month mark. And right now, Obama's going to have to go through January of 2017, where he'll lose about 2 million jobs. And he's going to go through January. I understand. I can't continue the conversation because you're t- I'm talking about apples and you're talking about cucumbers. We were talking about last night's debate. You had you had every ample opportunity to call me not once but twice when Obama was running for office. He's not. My questions to you were specifically and to everyone about last night's debate. I'm just trying to keep the conversation flowing and timely. Appreciate the call. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. You know, I had a line thing there we were talking about. I don't want you to think. Um, PolitiFact, factcheck.org, et cetera, does back up what Mark had said regarding the President Barack Obama and his claim that the deficit has decreased by two-thirds since taking office. Um, And um, they find it to be true. So does that, you know, meter from the Washington uh, Post that's not a pants on fire. Uh, he reduced the annual federal budget deficit by a full 70% since he inherited the $1.4 trillion annual shortfall uh, from George W. Bush's successor. Uh, but let's get to the calls talking about last night's debate. Uh, we go to Paul in Washington, Line 3. Paul, good afternoon. If you don't mind my expressing my extreme annoyance with the last caller, who was – that call went on way too long for somebody who was way, way off topic – uh, that, that was just, that was rudeness. Yeah, it was really rudeness, and it, 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 it calls for some retort in the sense that uh, President George W. Bush did not inherit a recession, a recession being two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth in the year 2000, in the, since the, the last quarter of 2000 through the end of 2001, we had two, neg- two quarters of negative economic growth, but they weren't consecutive. So he didn't, and the, 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 uh, recession that President Obama had was only started in January of 2009, so President Bush experienced that for all of 20 days, and it lasted exactly two quarters through the end of June. And and also, President Clinton inherited half of a recession, two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth from President George H.W. Bush. That guy is so full of BS, I don't know where to start, except for let's go to the the debates. He liked Rand Paul's 1% plan. Well, wait a minute. That's going to balance the budget? I don't think so. We've, the, the deficit has been cut only by two-thirds, and we've had the sequester in place for, what, three years. The sequester is a 10% across-the-board cut, which, by the way, is like an 11.1% tax increase. You're only getting 9%, 90% of what you're paying for. So 
How could how could those numbers possibly pencil if we if under ten percent cut, we've only redu- reduced the deficit by two thirds? Right. So I mean, it is a reduction, but it's not one percent. Certainly, wouldn't have anywhere near the same effect. Okay, uh, I have to say, of the accusation that President Obama wants to fundamentally change America, oh my God! I think every person on that stage wants to fundamentally change America in ways in, in multiple multiple ways, from cutting payroll taxes, goodbye Social Security and Medicare. Okay. Uh, I don't know, and Ben Carson seems to think Carly Fiorina wants a three-page tax code. That's how simple America really is. Why does she think the tax code is so complicated? Because lots of different things apply. Ben Carson thinks the good old days were before the the 16th Amendment. Okay, from 1880 until 50 years between 1880 and 1930, say, and the the economy crashed in 1929, were the poorest times in America. In 1880 is when we about when we became a wage-based economy, and 50 years later that economy crashed. Not because of any minimum wage or anything, or any undue regulations. It was the Gilded Age that crashed upon itself. I have to say this: Carly Fiorina is probably the most unlikable person on that stage. She's argumentative, combative, difficult, pushy. I guess that's where she got the way she got where she did life. And, uh, unfriendly and at times hostile. The one thing I do want to point out, it was in the undercard debate. This is important. Chris Christie said of Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton wanted single payer 20 years ago, and she still wants it. The, why this is important is because Hillary Clinton has been branded as a corporatist and not very progressive. And I guess Bernie Sanders supporters, and I, I love Bernie, I've contributed to Bernie's campaign, is getting credit with the, you know, the idea of single-payer. Chris Christie said that Hillary Clinton was all about single-payer 20 years ago, and she still wants it. They all wanted to trash Obamacare. They were all trashing and, re- and said, repeal and replace. But do you know what the House, or sorry, the Senate Republican answer to Hillary Care was in 1993 was a bill called the Health Equity and Access Reform Today Act which was a bill written by Milton Friedman and the Heritage uh, Foundation in 1989. Milton Friedman, the conservative economist, the Heritage Foundation, very conservative think tank. The Health Equity and Access Reform Today Act was first implemented in Massachusetts under Mitt Romney. We call it Mitt Romney Care, and it is now permutated into what we now call Obamacare. Republicans' answer to Hillary Clinton's single-payer plan was Obamacare. Yep, that's 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 very true. Okay, Paul, anything else in last night's debate? No, I, the only thing I have left to say is I'd like to hammer the last caller in the head, like <laughs> Ben Carson would. <laughs> of course, he would store grain in his head first. But uh, anyway, I can't help myself. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Don't quit my day job. Um, okay, let's go to Jim in California, line four. Jim, uh, good afternoon. Uh, Jim, uh, I know that you um, feel uh, that it, it isn't okay for Carson or any other candidate uh, to lie, and you had something to say about Jeb Bush regarding Latino voters. Please talk to us about those two areas. Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you, Leslie. Appreciate you taking my call. Love your show. Love your Twitter feed. Uh, thank you for following me on Twitter. Uh, so, regarding last night's debate, uh, 
Is it? Of course, it's not okay for any candidate to lie. Uh, they're trying to be the leader of our nation, and I mean, geez, if I were to just come to your show and say, "Hey, Leslie, uh, here's my background. I want to work on your show," and it was a total lie, and you found out after you hired me or were in the process of hiring me, would that be okay? Of course not. These people are trying to be our nation's leaders, and when any candidate lies about their background, I think that candidate has a lot of work to do to gain the trust back of the people they're trying to lead. Um, second point, uh, addressing your question about Jeb Bush, I think he was correct. Um, a lot of this rhetoric the GOP is putting out there is driving away Latino voters. Oh, no, uh, I, I agree. I agree. When you have the fastest segment of the population and the fastest segment of the voter population, I, I, I'm serious. If you want to lose elections, because if it's not about this election, if it's about four years from now, they're assuming all Latino voters are going to forget, forget the legislation, exactly. forget the rhetoric, forget. And, and this is what kills me, too. I have I said it on TV today. I've said it a million times. How come nobody's demonizing the people hiring these individuals? If they did not have jobs to come to, which they only compete with high school dropouts statistically in this country for jobs, by the way, if they did not have if they did not have jobs to come to, they wouldn't come. And perfect proof of that is when the economy took a dip, so did the number of people crossing this border illegally. Well, absolutely. And, you know, one thing, uh, occasionally I will pick up work as a substitute teacher here in Southern California. And when I'm in a high school, uh, there, if there are these kids that are the next election is going to be the first time they vote, a lot of them uh, will look at me and say, uh, are you going to vote for Donald Trump? That guy's racist. Uh, so they assume all white people and all Republicans are racist. Uh, and a lot of this hate-filled rhetoric is, is nonsense because it, it's been proven immigration strengthens economy. Strengthens economy people- because, because they buy more stuff than programs people think they suck off of. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will as well here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Have a great afternoon and evening.